0: Hello, I'm to philosophy. I'll be really quick. It's Friday morning. It's very early. I've got up. I'm going to stretching. Yeah, that's the life I live now. I have a bad back. I'm going to assisted stretching. It's an old person's thing, I think. But it seems to be working for me. So anyway, you don't need to hear about my health problems. I mean, you know, you're probably going to hear about my health problems, you know. What's the point of having a podcast if you're not like your Nana complaining about how your knee swells up when rain's coming? But... Uh, anyway, I've got to be really quick on this one. Uh, a couple of plugs up the top. Firstly, I'm doing a live show at Giant Dwarf as part of the Yak Festival. First time I'm ever doing philosophy live. It is almost sold out. Uh, thank you to everyone who's taken a risk on coming to see that show, not knowing who the guest was going to be. It's going to be someone fantastic. He's a comedian. He's had a huge year. I cannot tell you who his name is because he's doing shows in Sydney at the same time. If you could be bothered Googling, you can probably work it out. Uh, secondly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here's a show that you can go to that I can tell you who's on. Tiffany Stevenson, uh, today's guest, Tiff Stevenson. Uh, just one of my favourite people in world comedy. Uh, she runs one of the best uh, comedy rooms uh, in all of London. It's called Old Rope. It's a new new comedy room uh, that you've probably heard me talk about on uh, many of my podcasts over the years. Uh, I think she's an absolutely brilliant uh, person. I think she's a wonderful comedian. Um, uh, she was generous enough on her trip to Sydney to uh, pop over to the house with her partner and... Uh, uh, we've all known each other for a, a decade or so, and we had a really lovely day both on and off air. Uh, you're about to hear a couple of hours <laughs> of, well, not quite a couple of hours of the conversation that we had on air. And uh, there were some pretty juicy stories off air uh, that perhaps uh, would have been wonderful for you guys to hear, but probably would have got us both in a lot of trouble. So, um I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, but I'm going to do this plug up the top because she's doing a show at the Sydney Comedy Store. Uh, She's been there doing a week of uh, spots, but on Saturday night, which will be probably today or tomorrow, if you're listening to this straight away when it goes up, uh, she's doing a show at the Sydney Comedy Store. I highly recommend this show. Uh, There are plenty of tickets available and it would be great if she could sell a whole bunch of tickets because obviously if she sells a whole bunch of tickets to a solo show, they're more likely to invite her back and uh, to do things like that. And uh, it'll be well worth your time. If you enjoy this uh, interview today, please uh, go make an effort and go and check out the show at the Sydney Comedy Store uh, tomorrow night. Okay, that's it from me. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been watching the tally. Um, Grun, uh, we're about halfway through, so uh, not much more of that to go this year. So if you haven't tuned in yet, uh, you can catch up on that on ABC iView at the moment. And, uh, of course, uh, my other podcasts, fo Fop and uh, Two Guys, One Cup, my AFL podcast, they're all uh, up and going at the moment. So anyway, enjoy those. I uh, hope you're having a nice time. Hope you're having a nice time. What the fuck was that? Anyway, I've got to go. It's early. The dogs need to be fed, and I've got to go to stretching. Uh, all right. Enjoy the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Will Anderson. I'm, it's in the title of the podcast. It originally <laughs> wasn't. It was called Willosophy, which I guess still is my name in the title of the podcast, but... Then we had to change it from a different server. You guys don't need to know the boring details. The point is, it's now called Willosophy with Will Anderson. <laughs> and I say my name a lot at the top of the podcast, which I'm sure is off-putting for some people. Uh, how's, here's how the podcast works. I have a, a guest on. Uh, so far uh, in the history of this podcast, it's always been somebody who has been connected to my life in some way. And today is no exception to that. It's someone who I've been... Friends with, I said on another podcast, uh, we both did Josh Earle's amazing podcast, uh, Don't You Know Who I Am, the other day, and I said on that podcast that we've been friends a decade, and then I uh, was trying to actually work out how long we've been friends. We'll get to that. I have to introduce my guest so she can uh, take part in this conversation, <laughs> so this is how the podcast starts, guest. Uh, who are you?
1: Oh, I'm Tiff Stevenson. Yeah, and th- do I have to describe myself more?
0: You don't have to. That's kind of the, <laughs> the the way that I ask it. I didn't actually tell you I'd ask it because I like to just hear what people say. Right. So sometimes people just say their name and then sometimes people have a very, like, it, you know, it comes out very naturally what it is that they define themselves as. Do you have one of those?
1: Oh, I, I think I'm a slashy. So, which sounds disgusting because it always applies to something like model slash DJ slash asshole. Um, So (laughs) that's normally where you get a slashy, um, someone who's not very good at lots of things. But I am, I guess, primarily my last uh, 11, 12 years have been in stand-up comedy. I'm a stand-up comedian, but I am also an actress and a writer and sometimes I sing so a few things, cover a few bases. And uh, who knows, I, I might end up being a filmmaker at some point. I'm uh, I'm always looking for new challenges. I, My boyfriend says, you like to get to a point in a career where you're kind of like at the cusp of massive things and then you just go, yeah, I'm bored now. <laughs> and, and you go do something else. So um, no, but I, I, I definitely... Okay,
0: well, that's interesting to me just in itself because I think I have an element of that in me as well. Hang on, I think your microphone is suddenly trying to escape your face. But, oh, oh, hang on. There it is. You know what? Hang on. I'm just going to, I'm going to come around. This is, uh, I think I have a little bit of it myself. I'm going to adjust the microphone as we do this and see if I can actually. You're such a multitasker. Well, I'm not sure that I can. Oh, yeah, I'm a slashy. I'm a uh, podcaster slash fixture of podcaster mic- microphones. Oh, bad. I'm not really because it turns out I can't talk and do that at the there same time. There we go. Time. How's
1: that? Is that better? Anyway,
0: a more professional podcast would edit that out, Tiff, but this one is not a more professional I think we podcast. we leave it in. We're definitely leaving it in. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Everything gets left in. So uh, here's what I would say is I think I'm a bit similar to you in that. I do a lot of things and I do think that for me the reason is there are lots of things that I would like to know if I could do, you know, that I would like to try. I always say of stand-up comedy that, you know, I think that part of the reason that people choose stand-up comedy is it's a thing that is unmasterable. Like, you actually can't get to the point where you go, okay, I'm, I nail this. I know how to do this because comedy will change. And a week later... Oh, it will the... fuck
1: you up so bad. Just when you're at that point, you think that you've mastered it. Right. There's a death around the corner just waiting for you. And it won't be the same as when you first started.
0: So it doesn't surprise me then that you are a person who also seeks out this idea of going, now that I know that I am competent at this thing, that I can do this, that you go, well, what's my next challenge? What is the next thing that I have to master? Do you believe that there is an element of that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the idea of living, I think one of the attractive things about acting in the first place before stand-up even really stand-up was about getting my voice heard and I had things to say and I was fed up of going up for acting parts of these kind of like sketchily written female roles and stuff and I was like oh I'm funny I've got something to say and that's sort of how I got into that and I think acting is great isn't it it's getting to live out all these different lives and be all these you know you're a changeling I can be this person I can live this life Ramona,
0: no, you don't have to come up. You can just sit down.
1: But Ramona... I, I mean, she can come up. She you, can come oh, up. I no, if you, you, if,
0: if you let her, she can come, come up. You then. might need to help her up, though, because oh, her leg's are a bit... On, she'll then. want a back rub. That's there basically what she wants. She'll turn around and she'll decide that... Yeah, she can give you a little kiss, and she'll then she'll get kiss. a little back back rub for the rest of the interview. That's what she's really thinking. <laughs> she's, that she she will said, do. "You
1: just said you were looking for new challenges, right?" Here's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm your I'm your newest challenge.
0: You, you now have a new slash. It's slash dog massager, dog wrangler. Uh, so anyway,
1: <laughs> she's now on the table. Yeah, at she's the actually equipment.
0: on the table now, coming towards me. Like you can be involved in this podcast, Ramana. <laughs> so uh, here's yeah. what here's what I'm interested in about acting because. You do have such a unique, uh, you know, comedic voice. And I've always known you, you know, predominantly as a comedian. So that's what I see. I see someone who has such, you know, a great forthright comic persona, like, you know, really interesting things to say, things that are incredibly unique, you know, because you manage to straddle a world where you can talk easily about, you know, you know, things that are probably, you know, more specifically tailored to women, but in a way that, you know, is not in any way alienating even to the sort of audiences that would feel alienated by that.
1: Right, If yeah. that
0: makes sense. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a majority of a comedy audience who don't even take that into consideration at all. But there is a part of a comedy audience... That does. That does. Yeah. And you've always struck me as a, like, comedic performer that, you know, from what you do on stage, it manages to, uh, I think transcend that a little bit. Is that a unfair thing to say? Is that a That's correct a, thing to uh, say? It's
1: a massive compliment. Thanks. Um, I'll take it. Yeah. I like to think, and sometimes Paul says this, because sometimes it's hard. Paul is my partner of 10 years,
0: by the Who's way. here, by He's the here. way. This is the first time we've done one where the partner has watched it on.
1: Yeah, like, because he doesn't trust you well. Right. And, and it <laughs> will get really
0: awkward when we get to the regular 45-minute explanation of your sex life that every person on this podcast does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Paul's always said to me that he said you give them all the good stuff they don't know they're getting it but it's so good and they've got the people that you think don't want to hear your message or what you have to say are laughing 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 and then they've taken it away and they've not I mean I sort of a new opener at the beginning of my show now where I um Talk about talk about being on my period on stage, and then I go. This is the most rock and roll comedy you'll ever see. You know, forget Stanhope, forget Bill Burr. Like, how many of them are actually bleeding on stage? I mean, what's it's a fair more point, rock, right? What's more rock and roll than that? Well, you it's know? very
0: Ozzy Osbourne, right? Yeah, like that's you're... what I
1: said. I mentioned Ozzy as well. Yeah. That's so funny. I was like, it's so Ozzy Osbourne. You know? I mean,
0: if you had a miscarriage on stage, <laughs> that's Ozzy Osbourne. That's you know?
1: That may have happened.
0: <laughs> so it, it is interesting to me that though, because you, are, one of my most famous the, the comedy stories is, do you know who Anthony Morgan is? Oh no, no. So he was a legendary sort of, you know, one of the creators of the alt comedy scene. What what became the Australian comedy scene? But Greg Fleet, Anthony Morgan, Judas Lucy, Sue Ann Post, like there was a generation. Rod Quantock, uh, Linda Gibson. These were the establishing names of what Australian comedy has become. And I've left some people off. I wasn't trying to do an exhaustive list just but Morgan was probably the greatest of all the way that I describe it is I would say that probably eight of the top 10 gigs I've ever seen in my life are Anthony Morgan gigs and 10 of the worst 10 gigs I've ever seen in my (laughs) life are Anthony Morgan gigs you know that was yeah you know he would go on stage and you know I remember one night at the Prince Pat seeing him do a 40 minute set where he just described he'd gone down on a woman and he literally just talked about that for 40 minutes and it was like transcendent you know you felt like you were Learning something about what it was like to be human more than you were watching a comedy show. One of the greatest of all time. Anyway, he was playing Late and Live back when Late and Live was Late and Live. Still you a know. gig, you know. Well, back when it was, you know, the you know people went to destroy comedians and destroy what they were, and he was they weren't enjoying what it was that he was doing, and somebody threw like either. Uh, I can't remember if it was a beer bottle or if it was, like, a glass, you know, at the stage. But what he did to get their attention was he grabbed that glass and then he smashed it over his own head. <laughs> and he did the rest of his set. Like, they loved him, you know, because, I mean, he got them. He's bleeding. He's got glass in his head. You I know. mean,
1: that is just a Scottish hello.
0: Right. Uh, had to go immediately <laughs> to a hospital, in an ambulance, straight after the gig. But the point is... It's, it's known legendarily as one of the greatest gigs of all time. The point is you are saying that you're just doing that once a month.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do that once a month. I'm doing that once a month. That's my, that's my work rate. Yeah. Um, and it, it is. I do feel like um, it's interesting what's sort of perceived to be rock and roll comedy or what's perceived to be edgy or philosophical uh as we're talking about philosophy on this,
0: this is good. Tell me about this. Do, uh, give me more about this idea because you see a lot of comedy and you see you know a lot of really fantastic comedy too. Because you run uh, one of the best you know kind of you know, comedy rooms in all of London, yeah, and it it attracts kind of the greatest and most interesting minds. But what do you mean by what you just said?
1: Well, I guess there is. I know the sort of stuff that I love, and I guess maybe it's 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 more of an American bent. Uh, anyway, but the idea—I mean, I had a row. This was a few years ago with Bruce Dessau, who writes for the Evening Standard, and I remember him going, "Oh, finally, philosophy's back in comedy." And I said something along the lines of, "Well, you know, most stand-up of a certain level is just sort of moral, moral relativism in action. Anyway, it's a person standing up on stage, going, you know, it, on a very basic level. Don't you hate it when you do this or look at this shared experience and how do we feel about that? What constitutes cheating?" And where do we move towards that? Or you know, is it okay if I steal if it's from someone who's really rich? You know, those sort of create like those sort of questions. Um, and uh, so he was like, no, no. A lot of comedy is is terrible, but there's good comedy that quotes philosophy. And I don't think good comedy directly quotes philosophy. I think good comedy displays philosophy. But I think if you're throwing around the names of the philosophers then what is that? You're just blindly quoting someone. I mean, Louis C.K.'s got a routine which would be, uh, you know, one of his big routines that you go, oh, that's Kant or someone's doing a piece that's like Sartre there or that's, oh, that's quite Panglossian, that's Voltaire. You know, you, you'll you see those ideals, but if someone's just blindly quoting them, to me, that doesn't make comedy philosophical. And I think he'd reviewed a Russell Brand gig or something and it had driven me mental. What he'd said was something along the lines of, I loved the show but I'm not sure the blondes in high heels teetering away during the interval got it on the level that I did because I have a philosophy degree. And everything about that made me want to smash his face in. And I feel like we've come back and we're like quite friendly now. Um, I say quite friendly, but we sometimes Bruce is sometimes someone that I... I'll get into sort of one year in Edinburgh when not a strong female field this year. And I was like, what are you doing? You're like actively damaging female comedians. So there can be so much snobbery around comedy that I find frustrating. And then you look at the ones like Stanhope, who I do love, I think he's excellent. You go, there's no snobbery around this, but he's allowed to be dark and pervasive and thought provoking and questioning. And sometimes I feel like you do that as a woman, people are like, uh, 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 uh no, that's bitchy or that's rude or you're unlikable or any of those things. So So
0: there's, and look, to be honest, I'd love to just even just let you talk on this, but there are so many things in this that I want to unpack that I just want to stop now. Just to make sure that we don't miss some of them along the way. Because I, firstly, that thing you said about people quoting philosophy versus displaying philosophy is kind of what, you've put in words something that has been in and on my mind for so long in such a way that it's kind of, it's, it's taken me back a little bit because I think okay. I could not agree with you more. And it's what I see in your work. And I guess that what I was trying to say, you said it in a much better way, <laughs> <laughs> but is that idea of going, no, I, this is me trying to take some people, including those blondes teetering in their high heels, because why the fuck shouldn't they be entertained? And why the fuck shouldn't they be entertained by something good? Yes, Like, you know, they're an audience Like Chris Rock said of Dane Cook, I remember this interview very, uh, it was the time when the Dane Cook backlash was happening and, you know, the kind of, again, that sort of snobby sort of, you know, backlash was like the, the interviewer clearly wanted Chris Rock to say something mean about Dane Cook. And what Chris Rock said was, regardless of what I think of Dane Cook, he's bringing people to comedy who have never watched comedy before. And if they like Dane Cook's comedy and they like comedy, then they're going to start to look around and go, what other comedy is there? And yeah. if they have good taste in comedy and they develop a taste for comedy and other comedy, then eventually they're going to find my work and partly because they first started listening to Dane Cook. Yeah. So if Russell Brand gets those, you know, and, again, who cares if, like, who it is? The the drunken blokes, the teetering girls, the whoever the fuck you're judging who's there in the audience, there, and then you can introduce them to them some half-decent ideas. Yeah. But it's the ones who the Stan Hopes, the Louis C. case, and this is what I see in your work, is that idea of going, you know, I... I'm not going to bang you over the head with the fact that you're learning something. You're just going to enjoy what I am doing. But within this, I've thought about what it is that you should be learning or why I'm telling this story or the reason this routine exists in the first place. Okay. Let's do that one first. Okay. And then I'm going to want to talk about the whole thing about the way women and that female comedy is judged, particularly by men. Right, like you know. Yeah, okay. sure. So let's do that okay. one first, and we'll get to. So, so,
1: so the first one is what about the messages in the routines and how I construct well, them? Or... Yeah,
0: I mean, how much thinking? I guess the first thing I'm struck by is how much thinking do you do about what the routine is about, even if you don't tell them in the oh, routine. Loads. There's what so it's about. much.
1: There's so many layers packed into it. It's like a it's like an onion. Um, in that it will make you cry eventually,
0: <laughs> and our former <laughs> <Keep> prime back... <laughs> minister will eat it raw. Oh my God. Raw in public oh. twice, <laughs> twice he did it twice. That's the bit that a lot of people don't know about. His raw onion I eating. Mean, at least he ate an he onion. Did it he, twice he didn't
1: fuck a pig. So you know, let's we can play this game. I okay. mean, if the
0: onion had been in the pig's mouth, you could have had <laughs> each of them at one end of it. You know what I mean? What, um, <laughs> what a great spit! Literally a pig on the spit, <laughs> a prime ministerial pig on the spit.
1: Oh God! Oh anyway. God! We're all gonna die. So, yeah. I, so,
0: how much is the difference between if you want to say something, yeah, you saying it, you know, you going out there and go, I believe that you know, feminism is great, or that men sometimes catcall women, or whatever yeah. it is, yeah, like versus I will just construct, I will come up with an idea and then I will construct something that makes that point without necessarily saying to people this is the point.
1: Yeah, I I won't tell them the point. I mean, I work on a sort of mix of uh, – I work both ways. Sometimes something – sometimes there's a row that I've had or a behavioural pattern or a social pattern that I've noticed. Normally what happens is something happens in my life. I go away, I digest it and go, but what does that mean? What does that mean in the real world? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to everyone else? And then I sort of work the routine – from there, two examples that I can think of uh, for that was uh, sort of two years ago at the Latitude Festival, I ended up in this sort of altercation backstage with a girl who used to work for my agent and she was there with a friend of hers, um, over 30, wearing fairy wings. Fair to say I judged. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this, this woman refused to um, uh, sort of, like I held out my hand to shake her hand and she refused to shake it. And uh, and I was like, oh, OK, this is um, I'm Tiffany. And she just sort of went, oh, I've just come back from from Lovebox Festival. It's amazing. I only hope Latitude can live up to Lovebox because it was in creds. So she used the she shortened the word incredible, which made me very upset um, and I just thought oh this is just some drunk privileged girl fine right. whatever but she was with someone who worked for my agent and then the the girl who used to work for my agent was like how was the show and I went into I'm not going to do the bit on air but I went into what was es- essentially a little bit of an extended rant about my accommodation at the festival and the fact that I'd been I was supposed to stay in a pod pad but I'd been in a tent and I'd got bitten by horse flies. and you can probably see today I've got I react to being bitten by insects quite badly right so basically i do this long rant but it's 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 you know it's a work rant and she's a work person so it's you know it's totally fine and at the end of the rant the girl in the fairy wings leans in and says uh syria and i said sorry what and she said yeah there's people in refugee camps in syria so maybe you want to think about that And I was like, maybe I want to think about not smashing you over the head with this tent hammer. I don't know how you kill a fairy. That is the beginning of the routine.
0: Also, I I hated her so much from the fact that she said in creds that I assumed that Syria meant, are you serious? (laughs)
1: Like, I really
0: assumed that she was, like, that was her young person slang for, are you serious? I think
1: think that's what I did as well. Because I was like, sorry, what are are you saying to me, Syria? And she was like, yeah, there's people in refugee camps in Syria. And um, and I was sort of, my point off the back of that was sort of something like, yeah. you know, that's I mean, ridiculous. I they should
0: learn how to tell jokes first, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'd be here <laughs> at Glastonbury.
1: Um, and the the point was I made there was just like it, stupid reductive thinking just because I'm complaining about one thing doesn't mean right. I can't care about anything else in the world. So it's like saying you missed the bus and someone going, uh, the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, so so that was a thing. And I was like, oh, that kind of whataboutism is what they called, uh, is what they used to call it in the Cold War, I think. I don't know. It, it goes back to like, but the, but uh, what about, what about ism? Uh, Syria just became this shorthand for like, uh, Syria. And um, for how we are constantly trying to one up each other. Bearing in mind, this girl had blagged her way into two festivals for free over the course of one weekend, and she wanted to lecture me on um, Syrian refugee camps. So that came. I out. I
0: mean, technically, you could have punched her in the face and then just said Syria.
1: Yeah, uh, you can't. So, yeah. Give...
0: Sorry, people in Syria still have it better than you being punched in the face at a festival by me.
1: That's what I should have done. That's right. what that was my get-out clause. I didn't even know it at the time. Thank you for encouraging woman-on-woman violence, Will. Uh, well, so... that's fine. I mean, if
0: you want to take down your own, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. I I don't have to feel guilty about that. That's just.
1: Um, But I guess then that became the lynch uh, pin for a bunch of routines when I did the show that year. That was sort of about moral one-upmanship when we're all trying to uh, be so so. And then as actually, it was about our selfishness as society and how inward-looking we are. Because then the whole show was about the fact this was seven, so not the show I'm touring now, but the one before was I was in Paris five weeks before. before the ba- batter clan. clan, yeah, and I was hanging out with. Jo- I end up hanging out with Josh Hom. Right. It was a very bizarre set of circumstances. I end up drinking Mescal with Josh Hom and Brody Dahl in a, in David Lynch's nightclub. Sure. So there you go. Drop drop some more names, Tiff. No, <laughs> this great is the, story. This is the Bringing short some
0: quality uh, <laughs> anecdotage to this podcast. Yeah. I like yeah.
1: Um So so um, when it happened, I felt like really closely attached to it because he's in the Eagles of Death Metal. I was in Paris. And then from there, I guess I like people and exploring people. It came exploration of why do we, all of us, feel the need to connect ourselves to these huge worldwide events Um, and is it our way of understanding them? Because people then just viewing it through the prism of their own personal, you know.
0: See, I love that because to me that – and again, like the Paris thing really connects to me because Amy is friends uh, with a couple of the guys from the band and uh, we – It's the sort of thing, even though we hadn't been in Paris, we hadn't been drinking with Josh Homme, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's the sort of thing that we were like, yeah, if we had been there, that's the sort of event we would have been at. I remember it really uh, distinctly because it was a Saturday morning here when the news came through and I was doing these improvised shows that I sometimes do here in Sydney. So I'll improvise the entire hour, hour, 70, I say hour, it's never an hour. (laughs) It's a hostage situation. (laughs) But but that day I had two shows. Which in an improv sense, like I don't like doing back-to-back shows. It's like a lot of stuff in one day. But we sat here that morning and I was actually thinking about cancelling the shows because I was just so upset that I couldn't quite, and I couldn't quite work out why I was so upset. There had been a couple of things. A, the connection to the moment. You know, like you say, that idea that as human beings, you're just connected to the idea that that could have been you. Yeah, And I don't think that is you being selfish or going, I need to like be connected to this in some egotistical way. I just think that's a natural human thing that gives us compassion and empathy for other people. Uh, the other one was such a weird one. Uh, there was an Australian girl who had been uh, shot in it. And uh, she, uh, they found, as they do, you know, when somebody happens, they, they if they don't have any information about them, they go to their Facebook profile. And just weirdly enough, her Facebook profile was this picture of Sam Simmons and I recreating the John and Yoko in bed together, like the famous, like in the actual bed that John and Yoko had done this in, and we'd done it for this photo shoot, like in because it's in Montreal, I think, and so we'd gone to the hotel and Sam and I had done this in. Obviously, you know, she'd just like taken this screenshot and it used, so it just came up everywhere in the news, like when they showed her Facebook page was this, and I was just like, oh, somebody who likes them and likes me and whatever was – anyway, it was – but the interesting thing about doing the shows that night was that even when you weren't talking about it, of course you were talking about it because you're talking about all the things around it that make us human beings. And so I think you've, again, explained very well what it was that I was trying to get you to explain. So well done. You're doing very well <laughs> on this podcast is what I would say. Slash like.
1: quiz. <laughs> okay. So
0: the second yeah. part of it that I right. really want to talk about is this idea – of how much do you think – and this is not a, like, what it's like to be a woman in comedy question, um, but I guess it is in in a way.
1: Oh, can I add a tag on to the first part of of that? of course you can. Um, I do think really long and hard about routines and whether they contradict themselves. And obviously we all change and information changes and uh, ideas change and uh, people change. So – but I try really hard to feel like I have a through line where people would consistently get – who I am in the shows when I'm talking about new stuff. So I do put myself through the ringer for it a bit and I do try and think about what the end idea is. What am I saying to someone there? Am I saying to... There's a whole bit in the current show about realising how difficult it is for men at the moment if you're just like a straight dude to compliment women and what the rules of compliments are. <laughs> so I teach them. I mean, one of the exemptions are if your compliments shouted from the top of the building or out of a moving car, if the Doppler effect applies you right. know like nice dick you know like then it's not a compliment it's street harassment but i, I mean do... is that
0: what if it's a really good compliment all right
1: <laughs> you don't like an intelligent woman right. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: yeah what if say somebody heard this podcast and really liked it, and they saw you walking by on the street and they just happened to be working on top of a building and they thought that the only way to communicate how – they just wanted to say something, I really like the way that you explained the difference between being philosophical on stage and actually being a philosopher and quoting philosophy.
1: Would that be still inappropriate? Uh, No, I think that would be appropriate. Okay, The day that happens, I will sell everything and, and move here into this shed. Okay, cool. So, yeah. But, uh, Office yes. slash studio. <laughs> I Office think you'll <laughs> Sorry. So rude. So rude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or possible third bedroom if you're buying. Uh, <laughs> granny flat if your granny likes the smell of dog shit and stale weed. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, we'll probably get back to some of that anyway yeah. in, the, in the broader discussion. But I, I don't want to skip on without talking about this other thing because – it occurs to me from I, – and I get a lot of probably my information on this from Twitter, I will say. I think Twitter has become a pretty terrible place, but it is still a good place for some things. Mm-hmm. And one of which is that I follow a lot of uh, fe- either female comedians or female comic writers, and there seems to be – probably more, and I think probably because of the idea that if a man thinks he's got a few funny jokes, he's like, well, I'm going to go and tell them myself. It seems to be maybe a subset of women who are are just being funny on the internet, who are clever and whatever, and maybe do some stand-up, maybe don't, or maybe write or whatever, but who have this this, brilliant hive mind of women who are giving, confronting, hilarious, interesting opinions on things day to day. And in just consuming that, like, it's given me an insight into some things that perhaps I hadn't even considered myself when I think of these things. One of which is the prism through which comedy is even observed. So, do you think that, that when somebody, like a major critic, says it's been a rough year for women, yeah, that, that, yeah it's not a great year for women, that the issue could actually be that the way that he views comedy is through a male prism. So it might be a strong year for women. In fact, there might be shows out there that women are responding to more strongly than they ever have before. But perhaps he, as a male critic, yeah, it's not for him.
1: Well, my question was, have you seen them all?
0: Right.
1: And and I mean, he does this thing of, to be fair to him, of like trying to guess who the nominees are going to be for the award every given year and every year. He's so wrong. Uh, Bless him. But, and actually I did an interview with him recently of Rarely Asked Questions and he was like, oh, it was really insightful and you went really deep. And I was like, yeah, you know, I disagree with you on some stuff, but, you know, I'm allowed to and also I'm right. So there's that. Um, But yes, Definitely. I mean, someone like Steve Bennett, for example, recently. And Steve Bennett, who, uh, who has a comedy website. Yeah, he has a comedy website, and he's a fanboy, and he likes exactly the kind of comedy that I do, but he doesn't like it in the female shaped package. Uh-huh. And so that's very interesting. Like, and I know that that's what it is. That, or as my boyfriend once said, you're like you represent every woman that rejected him throughout his life or at school. <laughs> Oh, so man. that could be, it could be that. You know? I mean,
0: yeah, you could possibly say that of every woman.
1: But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so
0: uh, that's me. Um, but well, there he, goes my good might, reviews. That's, you know, Not um, and to be
1: I, I, <laughs> I don't think Steve's an awful guy, but no. we were judging um, a BBC Comedy Awards recently and we were talking about which acts we wanted to put through and I watched, I mean, we were watching, I was a judge. I don't massively enjoy judging other people's work, but... Um, we were agreed on the first person to go through, who's the fact the person that won the whole thing, Heidi Heidi Regan. She's like a New Zealand comic, okay, and she had one idea that she really drilled down into, and it was really interesting and funny. And I watched her, and I was just like, she's so we we we'd all agreed on her to be fair, but then when we were putting through the next two, he wanted to put through this, you know, and maybe I mean I talk a lot in this new sh- in the new show that I'm doing Bombshell about um, unconscious bias. And how we all have it. And it doesn't make us bad people if we challenge it and question it. Right. So I'd... But I think mine wasn't an unconscious bias. I think mine was more of a factual observation. He wanted to put through a guy who was from the Midlands like him, who was a one-liner guy, and he was quite funny. But I'd seen it so much. And I wanted to put through a girl who who was this sort of half Iranian, half English. She had one really great standout joke that I was like, that displays excellent writing. That means she has promise. Also, I just, we're not flooded with wimps. She had two kids with like young, young women who are, we're not flooded with, we're just not flooded with female comics. So for me, that has way more interest, holds more interest. I think it will go somewhere, whereas I've seen a version of this before and I'm not saying he was bad. And and uh, and I said, this is how I put it to him, I went, um, I maybe want to put Esther through, you know, because of my um, unconscious bias, you know, she's a woman and maybe I just relate to it more. And he sort of went, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's why I want to put the guy through. And I went, yeah, and that's why you review the way you do. Right. And that pretty much sums it up, you know, um, <laughs> that's who you yeah. are. And, and, and There's
0: <laughs> nothing wrong with like that idea of going, I like beans. And so, you know, when I go to the supermarket, I'm going to buy some more beans. But eventually, you've just got too many beans. And some night, like, you know, it'd be just nice to have some pasta in the cupboard, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Throw a couple of
0: sausages in. Right. Could Can you beans. just... Well, yeah. Something
1: less got We've got too much sausage, not enough beans. Let's exactly. change it around. <laughs> yeah, could we
0: just... Oh, no, it's all sausage and beans. What we would like... <laughs> but, uh,
1: but, but but so that that was me sort of trying to call him out a little bit I always find that he never gives I find frustrating he never gives credit where he would give a male comic credit or benefit of the doubt and especially if women are doing weird and wacky clowny things where right. you go if that's Sam Simmons or John Kearns you would go, oh, that's genius what they're doing. Dr. Bray's genius. Even
0: if you don't – so this is the thing. Benefit of the doubt is such a good way of putting it. You are very good at this. You should do (laughs) podcasting more often. Uh, Benefit of the doubt is such a great way to put it because I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes, you know, when you go and see uh, uh, Sam Simmons, you know, who I love, like you know, on the record and he's done this podcast and everybody knows that I'm a fan of Sam. So I can say it about him, I think, pretty freely. We all know you like, like sausage as well as beans. But also every third thing, you're only really going, that's funny because I trust that. It's funny because you're Sam Simmons. I'm not – like in the same – sometimes with the Sam Simmons show, in the same way as if you walk into an art gallery and there's a huge, uh, you know, like a frame, but the painting itself is just like white paint that somebody's gone, and you go, oh, well, like, they've hung it in a museum. Yeah. I guess that must be art. I guess I shouldn't be here going, I could have just painted that and put it in a frame. No, isn't that just white?
1: Yeah, yeah, but you
0: trust. You give it the benefit of the doubt. That's exactly And so sometimes, it. if you're seeing something that you haven't seen before, do you give it the benefit of the doubt?
1: Yeah, yeah. And you and I think that definitely happens from a male perspective, or in terms of reviewers or writers. Sometimes I feel that's there. For some, not like some of my biggest fans are like just dudes, uh, and I had like. I'm, this is going to sound like such, like, oh, I'm praising myself. But we did a preview of the new show in London. It was quite a small preview. There's mm-hmm. only about 40, 50 people. And this guy had come with his wife. And what I do say, you
0: think the right amount of people for a preview show is? Oh, by God. The way.
1: It's got to be at least 20, mm-hmm. but it needs to be not too. So, I, I, I mean, actually, it should be at least 50, really. I, I would say I did some to 300 this year. My room was only. I wasn't 170 this year. It was smaller than that. So I feel like bigger than the room in Edinburgh is probably not right. the right size this to do like, it. Hang on.
0: This, this show's five minutes shorter. Oh, Turns you, out the... That-
1: just because like... Or I'll do it somewhere like the South Bank after and, and that's like 400 or whatever. And you go, oh, it's just a different beast. Yeah. You need to keep it to a similar size of the room because you go, oh, fuck. I, and... It, Paul directs my shows and he'll be like, fuck, you were trying to do an hour and a half and cram it into 50 minutes every time. So as soon as you get into a bigger room, you're like, oh, I can breathe in this bit and there's much more room and I can work out, you know, I can, I can, the ideas can come out a bit slower. And he's, interestingly, he thinks probably the opposite way to we, how we do of going, how much of that do you want to know is ideas that you're putting out there and how, and sometimes Paul's like, no, you need to explain this a bit more because... because the audience may not necessarily, they might not be working at the same pace as you are. And sometimes you need to give them those beats or, and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do spoon feeding for arseholes. (laughs) Just get the fucking jokes. and don't get the joke. And then, and there's surely some kind of middle ground, right? Where (laughs)
0: where (laughs) I think that's right. But I do understand the point you're making. Like I get the idea that you go, you don't want people whispering. Who's that guy?
1: Yeah.
0: Is he dead? Has he been dead this whole time?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So so I. what were we coming back to? Okay, so you
0: you did this at a trial show. You were going to tell me the story about doing the trial show. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yes,
1: right. No, and just so some of my biggest fans are guys. I've been selling DVDs after the show here, and it's so far all been men that have bought them, although women have come over to say, I loved it, I enjoyed it. And I think maybe in terms of fandom, there's maybe another little level of that that exists within – men that really like stand-up comedy. So this guy, his wife had bought him tickets to the preview for his birthday, like his 45th birthday or something. I think it was. Uh And he was like, I love it. You're like Lenny Bruce. Like no one's ever said that to me before, but he said, and I was like, wow. And he was like, please just keep doing it the way that you don't change anything. And, I love it so much. And I was you, like, you did
0: do seventy minutes of just reading out court transcripts, though. right? Yeah, yeah, I, your, do. That's I do, your set. I do, I uh, do. <laughs> I talk
1: about how great Hugh Hefner is when he bailed me out. <laughs> Jesus, that's been, that's been a, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, hasn't it? For... Okay,
0: let me talk, well, talk, let's talk about that just for a second. And then we'll like have a pause because, you know, it's, I like to have a break in the middle of the podcast and B, we have to get to the point where I ask you about if you have a philosophy.
1: <laughs> okay. So,
0: um, but let's talk about the, the, the last couple of weeks as it's been for, you know, I mean, with Harvey Weinstein and, you know, yeah. all, all this stuff. Like I don't know. Give us your thoughts on where we're at. Oh, where I don't. At... I don't want to prescribe where it is this goes, but I would like to hear how you're feeling about you know the state of things. <laughs>
1: oh, just men of shit houses. I don't know. No, not all. men. I mean, I don't want to. Not that. all men. Not all men. Not not all men. All men. <laughs> no, I'm just going to take it. that bit out. That'll be the whole podcast.
0: <laughs> uh, Tiff, what's your philosophy? <laughs> not all men. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah.
1: Um, I um. <laughs> I'm I, I know great men. I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by really great men two of them here right now. Okay. So I um <laughs> I say all of this with sometimes it feels relentless, sometimes it feels exhausting being female. Sometimes it feels like just I mean, there's a joke in the new show where I talk about coming on my period when I found out Trump got in and also when our government went into a coalition with the DUP. And I sort of saying, I'm slightly concerned I have less of a biological clock and more of a doomsday one. (laughs) (laughs) Because I appear to be sinking with the apocalypse. And it seems to be sort of, it seems to be getting worse for women or women's rights seem to be being pulled backwards. And I've always done stuff about reproductive rights. And I sort of got to the point where I was like, well, in seven or eight years time i wouldn't need to be doing those jokes anymore right. and i used to have a joke about abortion in ireland and i was like i'll keep doing it till they make it legal and they haven't made it legal right so that joke's still there and i'm like oh this is has anything changed you know have we moved it forward um so with this stuff coming out i feel like it's a house of cards and a lot of stuff's gonna come out about various people um the power dynamic is obviously what's at play there. I mean, I've been in situations I've had things happen and or I've had like low level kind of aggression uh, from bookers, people who work in TV, uh, other comedians, you know, where you're like, oh, do I really want to say something about that? If I make this a thing, no. now that's going to be my thing. And why can't I just get on with being funny? But it's, it's sort of relentless, the amount of abuse, I think unfortunately in entertainment and I know it happens in other areas that that women get what I found interesting was the canonization of Hugh Hefner when he died and there were a lot of male comics I guess that came out and all said how great Hugh was and how he financed art and we should be able to separate that from and I feel like all of these I did a little post on Twitter. Let me see if I can find it. I'll read you you this. You find it and I'll I'll have just a
0: little say of what I was going to say when when you find it. No, no, no. This podcast is about you talking. I just sometimes like to talk in between just when I think of something. The Hugh Hefner thing was one of those ones that I was glad that I had no affection for Hugh Hefner. Like, it wasn't something that had ever been, like, on my radar. So when yeah. he died, I didn't have that. But I read it because I follow the same people on Facebook and Twitter that you do. And, you know, some of these people are friends of mine or people that I really admire. And, like, you know, you would see these things. And then in the same way as I mentioned earlier, I follow all these intelligent, you know, provocative female writers who are giving me a completely different perspective on the exact same thing. So yeah. as someone who admires the minds of you know a whole gamut of the people who had very disparate opinions on the topic i mean i'm in the privileged position where what i get to do is sit back read them all and at the end of the day I go well i feel better informed don't i look yeah. at me me yeah. a way that i take in a lot of different opinions and process them but don't really have to be challenged to change or you know yeah. do anything like yeah. you know i, I the, I have the luxury of just being able to do that. Okay, did you find okay, the thing you it? Okay, I found it.
1: So this was a thing I wrote maybe last year, and it was a bit that I'd sort of put in the last show, and I was, I sort of had had to take it out because it felt really heavy in the show. But I would brought up Brock Turner, who was the, the swimmer, the swimmer. Well, Let's call him the, the rapist. rapist. Yeah. His rape comes before the swimming. Right. absolutely. So so and famous uh, rapist. I wrote this post, but unfortunately it keeps I keep adding to it in a way that I think when I read it you'll you'll understand. So and I wrote this, and I showed it to Paul, and Paul went, "Why, why have you held back from posting that up?" I was like, "Well, I feel it's quite, it's got quite a lot of attack behind it, and I might get a bit of shit for it." And pe- you know, and he was like, "No, it's really important." So it, it, I wrote, "It's it's okay that he's an awful human being because he did a good acting. It's okay if he grabs her by the pussy because he's rich. It's okay if he rapes her because he can swim real good. It's okay if he hits her then racially abuses her because he has twinkly blue eyes. It's okay if he hits her because he released some mediocre music." it's okay if he drugged her because he is funny it's okay if he raped her because he had a sad life it's okay that he groomed her because he adopted her it's okay if he assaulted her because he was her manager it's okay if he kills her because he can kick a ball was the original post and that is a tiny 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 list of some of the horrific things that have happened to women that have been written off or exempted because the man involved has some kind of talent or genius that we should look at and go, oh, actually, it's fine. Whatever he does is fine because he's a successful man.
0: Um, This is a question I ask without any – this is not me. uh, This is not 60 Minutes, and I'm certainly not a contrarian. Uh, um, I'm looking for genuine – solutions to what i see as a massive problem i hear what women are saying and and i acknowledge that i not just live in that world but have benefited from that world do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know so how do we get it so part of my theory is that the reason that a lot of men don't speak up or that a lot of men you know around it is that they have also had permissiveness in their life That has come from the fact that our society is geared towards, you know, men and straight men and these sort of things. So they feel like they're complicit in it, at least on some level. It might not be on the level that like, you know, they drug someone and rape somebody. But at some stage they did something that they look back on and go, well, in the light of what I know now, in the light of like what I've seen and understand, like that, even that itself was not an appropriate thing to, you know, put that person in that situation or behave in that way. And I think it stops a lot of okay men or men who want to be better, you know, who, who want to, you know, sure, don't want this to be how it is from getting into this. Yeah. Cause they, yeah. you know, they feel, so I, again, I don't even know if I'm asking you like what I'm asking you. I'm just, how more do saying, we make it, how do we make how, it better? How or, do, or how yeah, do we how begin do we, to, how do we begin to make it better? Because sure. let's, let's assume that we can't fix it all probably in our lifetimes, but if, If we want to leave the next generation in a world where some of this stuff has tried to be fixed at the very least, how do we start fixing it?
1: Um, Okay. Well, I can... uh, By the way,
0: you are not required to have the answer to that, but I'd like to know what your opinion is.
1: Yeah, sure. I have a two-prong answer to this. Uh, One is is about how, how I need to fix myself and where we can fix from my experience, which again is about unconditional bias. And comes, so I'll do that in the second part. I just want to place hold that in case I forget. Um, the first part I would say is we c- can start having sort of open conversations about what's acceptable behavior with each other. I guess that part of the show of kind of going, of course you can compliment. Of course you can do. Part of the whole problem with it, what you're trying to <clears throat> make rules around or legislate is is human attraction um and so and and I've had conversations with Paul before where we've talked about this and he's like I just don't know how I would approach a woman now like it feels like if I say something am I being sexist and you go well it's you know if some the the, the problem with compliments is is that rarely are they given to just have a compliment given and what I say in the show is a woman might say thanks but then we owe you nothing right and every compliment is loaded with subtext and the subtext is generally not in a compliments amongst friends but if it's a man approaching a woman he doesn't know to say something the subtext of that is always like well I want to sleep with you eventually you know we might go through a process of (laughs) and uh, you know so and that is why the frustration is there when a woman kind of rolls her eyes or says fuck off or whatever because you've been rejected and that's we need to
0: Well, that's that I love. So firstly, I love this because I think this is something that we can work on, Yeah. which is this idea of uh, giving without expectation of receiving, which is like, that's a thing where you can actually go, okay, you can be, be, you can be nice Uh, to someone, you can open a door for someone, you can like these things that people put up as these things that you can't do anymore or whatever. Yeah. But it should be because you would do it for anyone. It shouldn't be because it comes with some expectation that that person has to respond in kind to you in yes. any way. Yeah, that to me feels like a very practical and easy mindset thing for us to at least. Yeah, so, good. So a That's a start. And love also,
1: that. just a woman might be walking along, living her life, and you've right. just kind of come into it and comment to- to comment on her physicality yeah. or her, you know, and sometimes I've had it with friends who've been like, oh, I was walking with my daughter who's 15 and just heard a man be gross to me. Or, right. you know, uh, I was walking along and then it was quite dark so I didn't feel particularly safe anyway. Or sometimes you get the, uh, don't flatter yourself. I wasn't even trying to, you know, right. it's protection. You're but like, always, like,
0: yeah, hang on. Are we in a fight now? I yeah. was well, just walking down the street and now we're in a fight. Now I'm a bitch. Yeah. I'm not a bitch.
1: Even to the I was lone... listening to
0: my podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was listening to my very funny friend, Will Anderson. <laughs> now you've just ruined it for me. Could you me. get a plug
0: in though? That'd yeah, be great. Yeah. If you could just build my audience at the same time of terrible people. <laughs> terrible men yeah.
1: that shout out at you on the street. So there's that. Also, in terms of equality, in terms of in the workplace, in terms of finances, money and everything else, the problem is, the base problem with equality is, is that most people see that they stand to lose from it. And if they realize that it was actually only a tiny bit, so it could be fairer for everyone, then that would be great. But that's not how they see it, what they see. And I would feel the same. If I'd had privilege that long, I'd be scared of it being taken away. Every now and then I feel like women get this little bit of a platform and a voice and it feels like there's a movement and we're growing and we're moving. And then some men, not all men, go and they feel like it's sheer terror that you're going to take my shit away. It's primal. I'm going to have less, and that that that's not just about sexism. That's about racism. Yeah. That's about homophobia. That's about everything. All Immigration, yeah. all of the things. So, I guess that comes round to my second point, which is unconditional bias. At the end of my current show that I'm touring, I talk about I, I having gone to a school that was like 40% white in London. And I've always, I've always lived in multicultural places, and there's a f- interesting thing happening. I went
0: to a school that was forty percent white. Oh, and did sixty percent yeah. really white. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the forty so percent uh, who were just white got a lot of racism in their right. direction.
1: A hundred percent brilliant white. Yeah, <laughs> sixty
0: percent albino <laughs> and forty percent white. Were
1: you? Were you the great? You were the great white.
0: I you remember the white. we uh, the first time. Uh, like I remember. You know, when we had a, so there's an Australian lolly sweet you know, they're like jelly babies, but they're brown, they're chocolate flavored. They're called Chico's. Right. And we had a the, our first friend who was like a, a brown skin friend, his nickname was Chico. And no one would have ever thought that was in any way like offensive or, I mean, I, I imagine, I don't know how they felt about it because we never fucking asked them. They yeah. seemed really fine about it. You know, but who the fuck knows? Maybe they were just pretending to be really fine about it because they knew that not being fine about it was going to fuck up their day every day when someone called them fucking Chico. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was going to be a route. I'm just going to lean into this because my life becomes... I might as well...
0: Okay, my name's Chico now because that's better than me every day having had the fight about the fact that you probably shouldn't be calling me Chico, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've come from a long way back on some of this stuff. right. Like, you know, my ideas about like, you know, I mean... There's a very difference, I think, sometimes between what's inside you and the way that you're conditioned, which is this, I guess, speaking to the point that you're making, which is sometimes you're fighting against the way you were raised or the messages that you got for a very long time. Yes. And you have to actively break that shit down a little bit. You really
1: do. And I think uh, there's a, a good mate of mine, Stuart Black, he's a comic. He's really... Really, really brilliant, but doesn't yeah. gig that much because um, yeah, of his last name. <laughs> yeah, racism. yeah, racism. Should change
0: his name to Stuart White. <laughs> Win the Perrier next year. not called that uh, <laughs> um,
1: anymore? <laughs> Perrier will come uh, back Perrier. on board. Perrier will come back. Yeah, come yeah. Come back on board because they, because such they hate, hate black babies. White. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they hate black babies. So if anyone's got white in their name, they'll do that. Um So yeah. So so he was kind of saying sometimes what he calls it is lizard brain. That kind of comes in and he's quite, he's read all the Jermaine Greer and he's pretty woke is a term that's used Uh, but (laughs) it's used Um, but he is and he said every now and then something happened and he was like it's my lizard part but also working class, his dad was a boxer, an alcoholic like and his mum, you know like his mum is like, he's very close with his mum but he he has and he was like there's parts where I'm trying to unpick years worth of programming and ideas and all of that so mine with the young um, unconscious bias was I thought I was this very multicultural person that doesn't mean that I went through school but like never having a racist moment or saying the wrong thing right. you know uh, never being prejudiced but I'm liberal I live in London I think I'm great so I <laughs> I get the train the day after a major uh the terror attack it's London Bridge I'm coming back from Ireland I've had about two hours sleep and I've been looking at Twitter a lot and I'm on a train and the whole story, I won't do the story, but the story is a, a brown guy gets on with a rucksack and all of a sudden the right-hand part of my brain goes, oh, hello, brown yeah. guy with rucksack and the left-hand side goes, what are you talk about? You've seen people with rucksacks before, like shut the fuck up. You right. know, right-hand side, day after a major terrorist incident, it means something. So it's this argument between the two, the left and the right wing of my brain, I guess, and this is where the left is eating itself in the UK at the moment. Which I'll come back to, but the whole thing happens, and it's a genuinely true thing. And I won't tell the story, but I can probably tell the crux of the story. It won't ruin anything to sort of say it. Is is I go through the motions of thinking at one point he gets out one mobile phone. And uh, he's sort of staring at me, so I'm doing my thought process. And then about a minute later, he gets out a second. So he's a brown man with a rucksack and two mobile phones on a train. And I go, "Fucking hell, he's gonna kick, he's gonna blow right. the train up, right? Because yeah. who has two mobile phones? Right. Drug dealer or, or terrorist? Exactly. Right? Either
0: way, I'm alert and alarmed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the same time, so I was like, and like that's the right hand side, and even left hand yeah. side's going, "I can't fucking help you out no. here, mate. He's got two phones, mate. He's got two phones. So <laughs> I do, I go through the whole. So thing. Th- a drug dealer, yeah, or a terrorist. I'm that's it. It's the only possible explanation. So I think I'll just get off and move the carriage along because I'm sweating and panicking. Or he's and having
0: an affair. We're we making carry- judgments regardless. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. There's a series of judgments and decisions happening. So I think the point is
0: if you have two phones, you're a terrible person. <laughs> yeah.
1: Who the fuck has two phones? So you're gonna get so many emails about this now going, actually I have one work phone and one personal. Fuck off.
0: Right. Can you just no, fuck off.
1: Um so 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 I I, tr- I think Welcome about- to
0: the podcast so thanks for listening. <laughs> Tiff Scott shows on the comedy source. I don't know, go check those out.
1: So I, I think about moving carriage because I'm feeling so uncomfortable right. and sweating, but then the other part of my brain goes, Oh no, what if he what if he sees me get off the train and he's gonna know I've moved because he sat opposite me. I'd literally rather be blown up than have someone think I was racist. Right, no, no. So that's the so yep. so the whole story sort of plays out. And in the end, the truth of what happens, there's a whole point where a guy gets on with a speaker stack and starts playing 70s disco. There's a little clip of it on my Facebook page, actually. This all happened, all of it happened, and in the midst of someone playing music in the train, he sort of leans over. And says, oh, you look lovely. That's a sexy dress. And he's basically trying to chat me up. So I was right to be afraid because it's a creepy fucking guy. Exactly. But I'm like, he's not a terrorist. He's just a creepy guy. Right. Slightly that's creepy why guy. That's why
0: he's got the second phone. <laughs> yeah. Probably so he's, got a third and fourth phone. Yeah. He's like, yeah. what's your number? Pulls out another phone. <laughs> <laughs> this phone's just for you. <laughs> Starts embroidering your name on the back of your personal hotline.
1: <laughs> yeah. There we go. I've got, I've got, uh, yeah, he's just got one number for me. One phone for every, <laughs> it's like. Uh, different area codes, that song, but just different mobile phones. That's why he needed
0: a rucksack. It's <laughs> yeah. literally full of phones. Full of phones. If he opened it, there'd be like eight phones, each labelled with one girl's picture off a train.
1: <laughs> That's where he does his main work. So other people go to bars, but you know, maybe he was Muslim, he doesn't drink, the train works for him. Exactly, so, right? Um, he's
0: spending all his money on phones too. Yeah, so, so there
1: was there was a generalisation I yeah. made there. but, but, but Good but, example though but, also
0: of like you know a literal example of you making a commentary about the idea of what life is about right yeah through a story that you're telling on stage which kind of brings us back to that point so now that we've had this nice round you know conversation and we need to have a little break so that we can come up back and ask you some more questions so I reckon here's as good a place as any to pause so I'm going to pause it Okay, we're back. Um, so the the premise of this podcast, I ask if you have a philosophy of some kind. So, do you have one of some kind?
1: Oh, um, I have. I have a few that I try to yeah. live, live by, we'll and some of them are new. One. We'll Let's start. Going. Start with one. Uh, first one is when it comes to work. Now, so this is any form of writing, stand up, acting. This is what I'm trying to do. My new three step is um, is a uh, going with hope and optimism. Prepare. So, sorry, prepare, 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 do the work, Going with hope and optimism, and then uh, surrender.
0: <laughs> Let go. Okay, so prepare, prepare, prepare. Let's yeah. talk about that first. Yeah. What does that mean?
1: That means do do the fucking work. Just do the work. The work that's required, They're getting up on stage, the trying out the jokes, the writing the jokes. Uh, if it's an acting job, the go, getting the script, learning the script, putting my best foot forward with it, not doing anything that I feel like... I think it was like Tim Ferris podcast or something we listened to years ago where Paul had quoted something like where they say about work is like if it's not an immediate yes then it's a no so trying to be really conscientious about what I decide to do and give it full attention which can be hard for people like us when we're always looking for new challenges and the next thing but I try and put that in terms of definitely for Edinburgh shows because once the shows out there is sort of out of my hands and how people receive it and respond to it is out of my control but all I can do is write what I think is the best show that I can write and put my ideas into it and put this piece out into the world so that's the preparation that's the getting up every Monday at Old Rope trying out the five that's the doing five new minutes that's the doing the 25 or whatever previews before
0: I get up to the fringe how are you filling your brain that's I'm interested like yeah like process interests me to a certain extent yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. I'm more, I'm, I guess I'm more interested in the shit that happens before the process. Before like the process. How, yeah, is, yeah, how is yeah. it that you're like, you know, filling your brain with enough stuff and challenging enough ideas and consuming enough stuff that you actually have something interesting to say at the other end?
1: Well, uh, traveling, being around people, trying to consciously <laughs> be in moments that I'm living and having, which can be hard to being a someone who can be depressive and also being someone who is a, a creative because sometimes you feel like you're constantly harvesting your own life for like content, you know. So trying to, that's a new thing that I'm doing of trying to consciously be aware in and live. And just before we came here to record this, we just had a beautiful day at the beach and swam and relaxed.
0: It's okay. You don't need to worry about the dogs.
1: Oh no, there's a buzzing. Yeah, it's because
0: Winnie's down the side of the uh, office, the studio slash office space, and um, there's kind of like trees and stuff there. So while she's down there where she's gone to uh, do her business because she's ashamed because we have visitors. Uh, So she's gone around the back of the house, which I hear her go around to the back of regularly, which means that I never go around to the back (laughs) of there because all I know is that there's nothing for me around there that I want to know about. Uh, so that's what just happened. Everything's right. fine. Back to the podcast. So uh, <laughs>
1: try to fill my brain with non-comedic stuff. So whether it's art or film or pe- – sometimes I just like watching people. Sometimes I play little games with myself. So I an, a new one has been to go – I'm trying to challenge myself to do one new thing every day, okay. right? So that means – So new how do you do that? Th- so every day I go – don't walk the same route to go to there. Okay. If I go to a restaurant, if I've been there before, don't order the same thing I always order. Just get something different. How does that know? go?
0: Is that okay? Because I'm not sure. Like once I find something your I routines, like, why the yeah. fuck would I try something else?
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that you can never have the other thing again because on a right. different day, your challenge could be not to change what you're eating. It could be to change the route that you walk. It could be to go... I'm going to go and do this, this thing that I normally do at this time, I'll do it a different time. I mean, that is an interesting
0: uh, uh, insight into perspective as well, because the person at the cafe, because technically what I could do, right? Yeah. If I wanted to change something every day, I could walk a different route to that cafe every day, every single day. So the thing that I could be challenging was every single day, I go a different way to this cafe. But once I get there, I still have avocado on toast. Yeah. And they would think and I was why the most wouldn't boring person. Because it's the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'd be like, no, what you don't understand about me is the mystery of how I get here. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So just a, a challenge and a new thing, a trying to find a new thing. And sometimes I'm I'm interested in people, ideas, stories. So a new thing that I did recently was I went driving a route that I'd never driven before, was away. I just had the car and it was a Saturday and I went, I need to get out of the house need to get out and i drove and what i did was i drove down a few streets and i looked at houses and then when i got to the house i tried to imagine who lived there okay based on that like a serial killer. Yeah, like a, like a uh, like criminal a stalker, of some yeah. kind.
0: And then you got on your second phone that you always carry around yeah. with you in your backpack.
1: Um, and I did, so I started writing these little stories and I was like, oh, here lives a couple in their mid-30s and they're trying to have a kid and blah, blah, blah. And here lives a man in his 60s and he used to work in publishing but that's finished now and he's quite lonely. And I, I just create these sort of characters and story and, I, and I'm always sort of thinking in that way. I love... I'll be absorbed by books if I if I'm take if if it's nothing to do with work. We're spending our time together, so we. And sometimes we just go, oh, let's have fun. We forget how much fun we can have together. Right. So today was like, oh, we'll swim, we'll mess around. You know, I'll go for walks. I'll do the things that are just nourishing or that feel good to be. Uh, I I I give myself a hard time quite a lot of the time. So sometimes it's nice to just check out from that and. And, and, and the ways I do that are various, but the new thing is one thing that I'm trying to do. One new thing every day.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's cool. I like that. Okay, so you prepare. Then yeah. uh, what's the second step again?
1: Oh, uh, going with optimism. <laughs>
0: okay, going with optimism. So that I think that's important. Because I mean yeah. you've mentioned a couple of times, at least in passing, that like there is at least an aspect of your personality that doesn't go into things with optimism. Yeah. So it feels like to me that that is important. So explain to me what that means to you.
1: I think at any given time it's um catastrophizing, which and I've got a lot better now. I've got a lot of better at handling my mental thought process and attitude and everything else. But What
0: did you think could go wrong? Like when you were catastrophizing, because that's what it means, right? Yeah, yeah. You're thinking about what could go wrong in this situation. The end
1: of it, I have no money, I'm poor, I have no teeth, and I have no career, mm. and I'm on my own. That's what they're like pretty much like... I
0: mean, here's the thing. If you're playing along at home, there's one of those things that just... Is a terrible thing, but you just surprise made the list, which is the no teeth. So yeah. let's let's circle back to in this tale of like doom and woe, how no teeth ended up in this scenario. Is that like a real?
1: It's a fear. Yeah, it's right. a genuine. That's
0: a real sign that like when you've got like it, when the guy who's only got one tooth is looking down his nose at you, you're like, yeah. this is rock." Well, bottom. just
1: the point in your life where you go, "I could not afford to have these replaced or fixed," so I've just you know. I've got no teeth, and I'm in a, I'm in a squat, and I'm in squalor, and I, that's the worst. And it goes from, it's such a thing. I can go from talking myself out of a career. I do it so, mm. I, I'm better at it now. But I used to go, oh, if this doesn't think doesn't go the way I want it to go, well that doesn't happen, or that's not right. Oh well, I'm, I'm done. Oh, that's me done. Oh well, it's all over, isn't it? Right. And then I find it really hard to see how far I've progressed or what I've done that's new. And people around you, you know. But I, I'm lucky I have a, 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 a pretty much constant bolster or a person that has a different perspective to it. You know, my partner being with someone and you'll know this, that sometimes they can come at it and go, well, you're looking at it from a very sort of uh, micro <laughs> level you, and you need to yeah. step back and you're
0: almost looking at it like the thing that you do is important in any way <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> when yeah. it
0: turns out for the rest of the world we could easily go on without you oh
1: Have did you, seen... you just syria yeah. me oh, Well, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that's right syria yeah <laughs> Have you seen The Walking Dead? Yeah, they would eat the comedian first, guys. No one needs the funny guy in The Walking Dead. We need the guy who can build shit. Yeah. And we need We need Michonne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need so- yeah. How how are you with a katana? Because your jokes are not useful to us anymore. We don't want observations on our post-dystopian society. Thank you very much. We're trying to get by day to day. Okay, so going with optimism. How do you then do that? So if you're a person who I think part of my, and this may come from being like, I grew up on a farm, you know, and my family is still farmers. Um, uh, maybe the fact that I'm a white man and I could see white men doing things meant that I never in my head had that idea that I couldn't do things. Like yeah. Because nothing about my origin story actually implies in any way that
1: we're still calling it an origin story, are we? Well, I am,
0: until someone makes it into a movie. I didn't fall into a well full of bats. I grew up on a farm named after my grandfather. That's that's my origin story. I'm sorry. It's not as sexy as everybody. But in rare occasions of mass crime, I have the powers of a cow. But I... <laughs> um, it, there was no reason for me to have the optimism about how things will work out that I have had that has been necessary for me to achieve what I have achieved because I've never had a great sense of myself in the way that I go, I'm brilliant and I think I can do this. But I've also never had that voice in my head that has told me you can't do this. Yeah. And though I think those two things are really different because there yeah. are some people who think they can do everything. I've never had that at all. Yeah. But I've also never had that other voice that has said – You can't do this. I've always had the voice that went, "I just reckon everyone who does everything is an idiot, and you're an idiot." (laughs) So, like, when I bought a house, my first house, like, well, this house, this is the only house I've ever bought. Um, uh, I was really nervous about it, and I rang my dad, and he said, "Well, he said idiots buy houses all the time, and he said you're not an idiot, so it'll 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 be fine, fine," you know." (laughs) That's great advice. And that was about, I think, what the that thing that I had in my mind then is what a lot of people have in their mind about everything. Yeah, I don't have it about my career and my life. I know that sometimes I'm really great at it and sometimes I'm really terrible at it, but I figure I'll just keep doing it anyway because no one's told me to stop. Yeah, I feel like inside your head, there was a you telling you to stop a lot of the time.
1: I think there is a... Uh, God, we've mentioned Bruce Dessau a couple of times, but in that interview for him, he's like, what's the most risky thing you've done? I was like, especially as he's talked about class or he's a bit classism in his re- classist in his review of comedy. I was like, the most risky thing I've done is be a working class person, having a career in the arts because, right. <laughs> you know, that is flying by the seat of my pants. And also women, we have different timings, stuff has to come into consideration. Like, do you want kids? Are you going to do that? When are you going to make time for that? Right. Can you have a career break? Um, and it's just, it's, it's just different. So it feels, I feel like there are, Those other things outside, which are, I guess, societal norms and family pressures and all of those other things that are like, oh, God, what are you doing? You you haven't bought a house and what are you you guys getting married? And we've been together 10 years (laughs) the dog just looked at me as if to say step off he's mine now um but yeah we've been together 10 you know and it's like well well, what's happening with that and we don't get that that's and what are you gonna do about kids are you gonna do kids you're not gonna we don't don't get And why haven't you bought a house and why could you not have just done something that had some security and i and then i go can you look at what i've experienced and what i've achieved and not go that's actually way better (laughs) than if i'd have done this other kind of safe safe route um so i feel like that's it's less about And sometimes also as well, sometimes I I, I oscillate (laughs) my... I have a joke in my show where I say when I'm on my period, my mood oscillates between Sylvia Plath and Beyonce with no middle ground whatsoever, you know. And I feel that's true of me as a performer and a person and everything else. Sometimes I'm the most confident. I feel no pressure. The bigger the gig, I can walk out there. In fact, the more pressure, the better. And I go, in my head five seconds before I go on I go I'm the best at this that exists and that's what I need to get me out there but then other times I'll be like oh maybe I'm just awful (laughs) maybe I'm just awful and maybe or even if this show is good other people aren't going to see it as good or they're not going to get it and they're going to shit on it and yeah there's a few I think there is definitely a female thing to kind of going first you're told you shouldn't be there then you're told you shouldn't be there and be attractive because that won't work. Then you're told there's only so many of you that can be there. And and everything is about paucity and about lack of. And it's, it's just a fight that the guys aren't fighting. So you have all these worries, you know, like first it was trying to get on the shows. And we're not even in a place in the UK where all of the women who should be on them are on them. And then there'll be new women coming through. And then some of them have gone, well, maybe we should move over and let them through. And you go, well, none of the guys have, the guys who've been doing it for years are still there. So let's just make room for more women so we can still be doing it and they can be doing it as well. And then you go, Oh, now I'm getting older. Is that now a thing? Is that now a problem? Like all this is the constant list of shit that keeps me awake at night. All women have a list in their head that stops it's, them getting to sleep. So. I don't
0: have a, a, I mean, obviously I don't have a great lot of insight into this. Um, I, I, have one small insight into this, which is from the perspective of someone who's an executive producer of a television panel show. Right, yeah. And uh, when our panel show was set up, we've been doing it uh, 10 years now, and when it was set up, I'm host and our two regular panelists are both men. And in probably the first, you know, two, three, four seasons, um, generally the guests would either be a man and a woman or maybe sometimes two women. Yeah. But at least a man and a woman probably like 50 to 80% of the time and, you know, occasionally two yeah. wi- two, you know, two female guests because the way that it would be looked at is like this week we've got two female guests rather than if we have two female guests, we are still not even 50-50 on parody on the show. Yeah. When I became executive producer like four, five years ago, whenever it was, one of the small things, and by the way, not just that I wanted to do it, but many – members of the team were also of the mindset to do. So I hesitate even to talk about this because the reason I'm talking about this is in no way for me to get some sort of fucking pat on the back or whatever about this is to try to share an experience yeah. and a story. Yeah. Um. Uh, so what we decided we would do was we would just try to do an entire season where we just had exclusively female guests. So at the very least the three regular men, you know, technically if you want to break it down, the male hosts, but then at least of the yeah. four panelists, Yeah. It's 50-50 representation. Yeah. And in the first series, a few people kind of noticed and like, and then by the second series, there was a conversation in the office, you know, and we had this conversation about, well, maybe this season, you know, we did our season where it was all, you know, female guests. You know, if we want to occasionally get one of the men who previously used to appear on the show on, like, you know, if they can fill a hole that one of these women doesn't have the experience to fill the hole of, we can get them on. And then we moved to a conversation, which was a harder thing for us to do and a harder conversation, which was why don't we just go and try to find some women who can fill that hole? So, if we get to that point where that voice or that perspective or the person who has that expertise that we normally would have got was a man, I bet there's a woman out there. Yeah. It just might take us a bit longer and it might be a bit harder to find. And yeah. we might have to do a bit of work to make it easier for them because, you know, they haven't had the like, and we've been doing that now for so long that I'd forgotten that we do it. Right. That's right. the thing. Like yeah. no one would even notice it or mention it now.
1: So you've reprogrammed that unconditional bias or whatever it is, you know, that you've you've changed that a woman can talk about this. It's gone from can we find a woman to talk about this to just we'll get a woman in who's going to talk about right. this. Yeah.
0: And the more you do it, of course, I mean, yeah. it's crazy, guys. Yeah. The more you do it. But I guess the thing that I was going to say about it was there's this risky moment in between where occasionally you are taking a risk on somebody because they're a woman. Mm. If, you, if it's a 50-50 call, right? Yeah. You're saying now, no, 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 we're going to encourage this because this is someone who hasn't had a voice before. I think that so often is the stumbling block.
1: Right that yeah. moment,
0: yeah, the moment where someone gets promoted a little perhaps earlier than they ordinarily would have because they feel and it doesn't have to be a woman it could be yeah. like a you know someone of a certain ethnicity or whatever yeah. that isn't being seen and suddenly you get them on every second week because they've never had someone on who yeah. you know fits that bill before, right we have a responsibility not to stop there we have yeah. a responsibility not to get to that point and if someone you put on a little earlier than they should be on because they're the only person to put on who feels that hole at that moment. Yeah. Give them some extra time. They might need some extra time.
1: And then they'll get really good at it. And then you bring a new one through.
0: And it's (laughs) just, I mean, I know it's crazy. Like it's crazy because I think that I can speak on this because I did the first half of the time of doing this show, not, having like i was not in a position necessarily to have exactly what i wanted to happen on the show but i was in conversations and had a powerful enough voice that if i had really thought that it was something that should be demanded if i had lived in a world where somebody went hang on don't you reckon it's like weird that like some weeks we only have one woman and four men on this show like we just used to do that as if that was yeah normal we've got a woman on like we, that's, I, I feel like I've got bogged down a little. No, in this, no, no. But, but
1: I, I, to, I mean, we have shows at home where they're like, they had to make a rule so there was a woman, and I feel we're massively behind Australia in the UK on that front.
0: Well, I'd like to hope that Australia is getting better at that because I can't even imagine making a show now where you didn't at least go in trying to have. 50, I mean, I can't if we started doing our show now. I just can't imagine there would be any way that they would go in and cast three men as the regular people on the show.
1: It just—I hope—it makes I it know. more interesting to have a range of backgrounds, sex, uh, ethnicity, sexuality, whatever. It, it, you know, like just uh, oh, we opinions. Don't let, oh, we don't
0: let gay people. Don't like let gay Sorry. people. To say. <laughs> Sorry, I knew I that to that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. We do not let um, gay people. And the, the reason
1: that that popped into my mind is because Mock the Week had not had like. Literally had a gay person on like now they, they got Tom Allen I did a show with Tom Allen but that's one where they, they've they consistently just sort of had one woman for so long and then we sort of all discussed but well, what about if we all just said no then they'd have to book two women and then the problem is with that is it involves everyone saying right, right I'm going to say no yeah. and someone will always say yes
0: well, I mean, but it's, actually it's a great opportunity for the one person who says yes yeah, right. <laughs> One person's eventually got to go, you know what? I could be on every week. Yeah. Could, it's legally obliged. Yeah. They have to have one woman a week and I'm the only one who's crossing this picket line. Yeah. This is big for me. Yeah.
1: So one <laughs> one woman a week and then... So,
0: can't then believe that Josie Long was the one person <laughs> you couldn't get it to agree to it.
1: It's crazy. Um, but but also within, within that... Talk's
0: you, a good fight, but when it comes down <laughs> to it, just wanted to be on Mock the Week.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, also, the problem with that as an idea is that it just means that they would go around you and then they get new right. girls and then they would be the first time you do the show. It's harder and then they would struggle and then people go, women are shit, and blah, 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 we're back at point one. And I guess my point was until the men turn around who are doing loads of other stuff and go, actually, I'm not going to do the show until you start getting a couple more women on, then that's at the point that we, you know, that we feel like that might actually help the men with power go, hold on a second. Which is what you did Well,
0: uh, but also no, Because I Again, I hesitate I want to talk about this Because I think I have some insight into it But I don't want to Sound like it's Yeah, it's because, solved Yeah, yeah And also I, I want to Be aware yeah. That like we still like, cause we do a show where we get people from the advertising industry, right? So they have to be experts in advertising and marketing and the advertising and marketing industry is skewed predominantly to men and isn't as multicultural as you would yeah. hope and imagine yeah. it could be. So we still, you know, struggle with, like, we're still filling those chairs. And if we find a woman who happens to also not be white and, you know, be able to fill one of those chairs then suddenly you're like, you know, thank God, you know, you're ticking off the fact that there's three white guys who are on this show every fucking week. So, yeah, I don't want some pat on the back. I'm t- yeah, trying to yeah. talk about how yeah, sure. you practically try to change things. Yeah. Right. And, and- so, one of the things that we had to do, this is, and again, when I say have to do, I think in a good way was if you're going to use some people on the show who were less experienced in their own industry because of the nature of the industry, maybe you to put them on TV have to take more time to. So, what we do now. And this is something we'd, we'd use if it was for men or women now. It, we just have a different system. So our old system, we kind of gave people a rehearsal and then you, we threw them into the show. Now we do these kind of workshops where we like put people through that process first to kind of give them a feel for it. Then we get them in to come and watch the show when other people are on it and kind of sit around and see what it's like. Because we want people to do well once they're there. Because... Yeah. That stumbling block is that moment where someone goes on and they do a shit job and everyone at home doesn't go, oh, well, they had a shit night. They go, all women are no good at this or all brown people are no good at this yeah, or whatever. Yeah. That, that person has the added pressure, again, I'm going to stop talking now. I want no, you No, to no, talk. no, 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 no. But on. I guess I want to talk about that idea of, of the added pressure that comes with. Like if I'm shit and I've been shit plenty of times, people go, you're shit. Or they sometimes... don't say all men are shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the it's the benefit of the doubt thing again. Right. You've got years of benefit of the doubt. Um, whereas uh, uh and and also the problem with it, and I've said this before, I think I said it in a piece I wrote for The Guardian, is if you are the one woman, you then become representative of all women rather than just representing this woman. And then it's okay if someone at home, a woman, goes, I'm not that into it, but I'm into her. If there's two of you, then at least they can go. Uh, with the guys, the guys right. I watch, they go, "Ah, oh, I love Will. Ah, uh, oh no, I don't like Jim. Or I like Charlie. I don't like this." You know, like and you could literally go, "I like this one." It doesn't mean I hate men, right? Right. Whereas you know, <laughs> with with women, it's there's uh, the assumption because we don't have the benefit of the doubt. We don't have that. it. We don't have it. So therefore, it's it's all. Uh, but actually, if you put more than one, then you make it feel more relaxed. You make it feel all of a sudden as if this just could be a normal situation that you're in, when you're the only woman. And even though I'm doing shows like that with my friends, it is just nicer to have another pal over there, and you go, "Oh, that you know, I can be a bit more hardline and dark, and she can be more, you know, uh, I don't know, like flighty or surreal or weird or whatever." And we can, right? You know, you
0: can be different women. We can be as different, opposed to as opposed all to women. All
1: women. All women every time. Right. You know, and and that's what makes it. And these are the small changes we really can start to make because you do need positive discrimination until you get to a point of equal merit. I mean, what, what really frustrates yeah. me is when you hear men going, and this happened when Mock the Week brought the rule in. I had comedians go, well, that means I'm never getting on the show, male comics, who hadn't got on the show previously. Right. And I'd be like, the reason you're not getting on the show is because there's five or six versions of what you do already right that they're booking on the show so unless you're in the top five of that style of comedy you're not going to get booked but also um yeah th- th- they're treating comedy as if it's a meritocracy in the first place or tv sorry right. as if tv is a meritocracy so you're kind of going well you weren't you're already not getting on it do you think the people that are on it all the time are the best or do you think they have the right agent it was the right timing they're generic enough. Sometimes it's right. about being or they feel, basic. Or, or they
0: fill a hole. Yeah, Like, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, yeah. you know, from being behind the scenes on a television show, the amount of time we, that we match people yeah. as opposed to, like, you don't go, oh, these are our two best people, you know, and they talk all the time. We're going to bang them on the same show. Yeah, you match them with somebody who is much more concise and gets to the point of what, it, like, I mean, people feel holes. But the problem is that those, anyway. So the thing yeah. I wanted to say about That in regard to, I guess, that there's a bit of it that comes with, and this is what I've learned. I guess this is only a personal experience. That's, I'll put it that way. You also have to put a bit of your own ego away to allow it to happen. So, for example, If a tweet or an email or something comes across my way that's like, you know, this show still has three men and only has fucking two women on it. And what they should do is replace you as the host with a woman. You've got to go, yeah, that's a legitimate point for that person to make and to have. Like, and that's part of, you know, I'm doing my best to like kind of, you know, play in this area and like try to do my best. But that's also a legitimate point to have. I have benefited over my life from when I came along wanting to do what I wanted to do, the people who did it looked like me, and no one ever went I don't think anyone's ever ever had a conversation about can we put you know a face that color face or that sex on TV? You know yeah. never had to have that., yeah. so now we're having that. Anyway, yeah. what I'm saying is it's good to be part of the last great bit of being a white straight man) <laughs> <laughs> I understand that for the rest of you white straight men listening to this, times are not going to be as good as they were, but they were great. They were great times, and I and not, took advantage of them. You're
1: not, but you're not going to lose everything. If we get equality, <laughs> it's just a little bit. You can. Right. Take, it's like a shaving, oh, absolutely. And that's the thing of kind of like those men saw the idea of there being one woman on one panel show that hadn't booked a lot of women somehow being the person that took away their opportunity. And that sums it up in a nutshell. And you're like, I'm not your problem. The 10 men that are like you are your problem. Okay.
0: I do have a good point now to add to this, that will actually neatly tie this off. Uh, The thing that I can say without a doubt is the last two or three years of our show that we have done are without a doubt, the best years of the show that we have ever done. Uh, It is not entirely because it is the period where we've had the entirely female guests on. But it is certainly in no small part because of that fact. Because not only have all these guests been brilliant, but of course they bring a different perspective to the show than the four guys sitting around did. So suddenly we're getting better conversations and more interesting conversations out of the men on the panel as well because they're being provoked by ideas in a way that they They haven't before. So now they're being more engaged and interesting in the show. So I can tell without a doubt the fact that we have done this thing has only been to our benefit. Is there some men who now don't get on the show? Yeah, I guess so. so sorry to you guys if you're still this to the podcast. But they, probably,
1: but they probably get they probably get on plenty of other shows and probably yeah. earn a huge salary that compensates. <laughs> yeah, for the... no,
0: they're fine. They're doing fine. It's like
1: the Harvey Weinstein. They come can cry
0: to, into their money. Yeah. Fine.
1: To come back to the Harvey Weinstein thing, it is that thing of even if now he's brought to task for all of this, all I can think yeah. of is the fact that he has lived a life of fame and luxury and privilege. It's getting away with it. Even if he doesn't get away with it now, he's had his life. Whereas those women, Mm -hmm. the ones who said no, had their careers stifled, their opportunities stopped. And the ones who said yes, maybe, or whatever happened, they are victims... And they have to live with that for the rest of their life or they got blackballed from the industry or they're going to be depressed or they have to deal with all of that. And they don't have the money. And all he's going to do is sit out his retirement in, in millions of pounds. And all that says is the problem is with that. It says to anyone else who wants to do it, well, look, you might be called to task for it in your 60s. And that's what we need to change. We need people to start speaking up. We need people to make small changes like you're talking about to just be better. Ask questions. That's how we change it. That's just, just just a little bit at a time. We can say, "What's have discussions about appropriate behavior," um, and and also, you know, I, I you know maybe I sometimes think about things the wrong way. You know, you question question yourself and go, "Am I right? Am I always right?"
0: You know. Well, of course not. Like I mean, of course they're not. Like this is the the essential floor at the heart of all these like, definitive arguments we're having in society at the moment is this, like, idea that any of us have the right answers to things. A, we're living a thing that is, like, the majority of it is completely fucking unexplainable. So the idea that there is some sort of, like, idea that we can explain how it... But you and I are so different that like what, one thing that works for you wouldn't work for me yeah. regardless. Yeah. And you're not the same person every day. Yeah. Something exactly. that would work yeah. for you right now that we could lock in right now would be something different to what, you know, you're going to decide at like 7am tomorrow morning is important to you. So, this so the, un, yeah, unc-
1: uh, sorry, the unconscious bias thing, I guess is what it comes back to of going that story I told earlier. I felt bad and I was crying to Paul and I thought I might be racist. I might be awful. And then I realized it was all an argument that had gone on in my mind And that we all have it. And that doesn't make us bad. It's not inherently bad. If you see, when you see it, you go, you don't immediately think, well, a woman should be there. Because you're thinking in your male brain and you're doing. But the point is that we challenge that. That's how we overcome it. We have discussions. We challenge what our biases are. So in that train story, I went, oh, that that was a little slip. That was a moment. That's not who I really am. Uh, i got to challenge that. i got to be aware of it. And it's okay to acknowledge our differences. Right but we don't, we treat equally. So we acknowledge men and women are different, but we treat them equally. We acknowledge that, you know, like to to be able to acknowledge our differences and celebrate them can be a really, really powerful thing. But um, we just need to challenge our, I guess that's what I was saying, Steve Bennett, you know, your unconscious bias, your, then all of a sudden now, now your unconscious bias is to, we just book the women on the show. It's not about finding women. Right. You've done it for so long right. that it's reprogrammed. And,
0: that's interesting. Uh, I I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you have a show tonight and uh, we've been here like in you know, a half the day and I know you've already been swimming, but I have a few more questions that I always like to sure. ask before the end of it. So uh, the first one is, um, and really this gets to the heart of it, but like, uh, how do you feel about death? Like, what do you think happens when we die?
1: Oh, sometimes it terrifies me and I'm obsessed with it and I think I might die um, and now I think birthdays are just me not dying, <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than things that I celebrate anymore. Um, I, my main—this f- was one of my midnight fears. I started collecting midnight fears. You know, as so I'd add the list of things, is like, what if I die and someone just describes me as middle-aged woman <laughs> and nothing else? That's like—that's like one of my fears. Like, what if that's the only thing? So. I, I'm afraid of dying before I feel like anyone gives a shit or I've made a real change or I've done a thing or I've made some people's lives better in some small way by doing something that they enjoy and and all of that. I don't want to die until I feel like I've got all the stuff done that I want to do and I've got a really fucking long list. So
0: I fear it. Middle-aged woman. Uh... <laughs> Middle-aged woman.
1: Do you know what I mean? Just like nothing else. No, Just like...
0: I know exactly what you mean. I mean, sometimes when I'm on planes and I say actual celebrities, I get disappointed that if the plane goes down, I'll... You'll I'll, not be fast. Yeah, I'll not be fast. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> like, Jay-Z died and a middle-aged comedian. <laughs> 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 and a middle-aged funny man.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so, so it's, it's more about time. I always worry about yeah. time as opposed so to... So
0: that's a hard one, time, though, because you don't... Like, we measure our lives in such a weird way because time is only relevant to how much of it you have, right? Yeah. So if you live for 70 years... Like, you know, in your middle age, you still have plenty of it to go and yeah. you might need to pace yourself a bit. But if you're going to go out early, then, you know, your middle age is, you know. need to get some shit right, done. Right, you need to get some shit done. So how do you balance those two ideals? Um, not very
1: well, it would seem. <laughs> I go through periods of, like, intense work. Um, where it's like everything, I'm all or nothing. I've always been this way. Also, I find that the more I have on, the more effective I am at achieving stuff. So if I tap out, if I check out, I have to do it wholly right. and go right. Okay, I'm now going to take some time. But I always feel like I've never done enough, or I'm never getting enough done. So that's difficult. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 difficult, uh, and I don't know that I balance it. I, I try. It's all what, about
0: what is it that you would like to be. Like if 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 that situation happens and they are writing about you in the newspaper, like what is it that you would like them to say? What is it that would make you happy instead of like you know what comes after middle aged in <laughs>
1: yeah. that description slashy of you? Yeah, slashy. It, yeah. So what's your
0: what's your what's your slash that comes after that that makes you feel okay about it? She
1: was past her prime like a rump steak. No, i uh, <laughs> i I would like it to say. Uh, you know, maybe like ah, uh, oh, God. Just put God. Yeah. Um, no, like creator of uh, comedian, raconteur, actress, performing artist, lover, barista, uh, doula, your new best friend slash um, <laughs> slash irritating cousin slash. I don't know how many more I can think of. Uh, personal trainer slash I don't, I, I don't know what I want it to I, I don't think I'd want it to just say comedian although right. I love comedy and I don't want that to make it seem like comedy is not enough but I have big plans uh, maybe it should say philanthropist philosopher lover
0: princess I mean, Lover was higher on that list, so I, I, <laughs> I reckon I'd go for the second list. Um, the first list, <laughs> seemed Lover was like right way down that list, to be honest <laughs> with you, whereas on the second <laughs> one, when she's more interested from her busy life of ph- philanthropy, she's coming <laughs> home for some love. <laughs> Just like, well, I've been busy all day being a princess and a philanthropist, so time for some love, love.
1: (laughs) I would like as to my
0: busy short filmmaking actress career, were your ninth priority.
1: Oh, let's say, um, uh, let's say, uh, what's the? Oh yeah, why? Why do we have auteur?
0: Yeah, tears nice. I like that. Because it's also, it's one of those ones that like some people just wouldn't know what it meant. Right. Uh, so uh, do you have any belief of uh, what, what we are as human beings? Like what the purpose of our lives is? Do you have any like belief in sort of any higher meaning than like, you know, just that we were an accident in the corner of the universe?
1: Um, it changes. I keep changing my thoughts and my opinions on my ideas. And when I think I've got it worked out, or something comes along and challenges it again. Like comedy. Um, (laughs) The meaning of life
0: is like comedy. So, Good show. That's your Edinburgh show. Yeah. Just just finish on that. And what I was trying to say tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is the meaning of life is comedy. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's been a great year for women at this festival.
1: (laughs) Call back. Oh, it's so circular. I love it. Uh, So, yeah, I would say I feel like I feel like there will come a point where we realise we're sort of more connected than we are at the moment. I think humans have been, and it's one of those interesting things if you study people for a job, which we do, are being sort of rapidly pulled apart and stopped from gathering together in spaces and knowing what it's like to be around other humans. And I think we're not meant to be isolated, although I do enjoy my own company sometimes and being on my own. But I think humans have lost that sense of knowing what it's like to be almost like with each other like a tribe or a village with and and that we're connected in that kind of way that maybe that's what the big reckoning is I was thinking about this the other day about growing up or um the fact that we grow up and that humans are like plants and we're just trying to reach the sky and we're trying to reach the stars um and the reason I think that the human race is struggling a little bit at the moment. So I was going to do a show in the Isle of Wight. So we have to get a little ferry and everywhere. and, And I'm as guilty as the next person, but people had their phones out and they were looking at them. Or when I'm walking down Oxford street, everyone's looking down at their phone. And I was like, Oh, we no wonder we're all depressed. We don't even look up anymore. We don't even give ourselves a chance to dream and be inspired by the sky and what's in it. Which is what centuries of great thought has, and I'm not saying that great thought isn't mate, happening it's now. Mate, because
0: the planet Earth's flat, mate. <coughs> uh, that rapper told me about it. So, oh um, yeah,
1: the flat Earth people. Flat Jesus earth, mate. Christ. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to be as unromantic to go, we live, we live, and then we die in this pile of dust and no one gives a shit. And it was right. just, I was just a middle-aged woman. It's a hard um, one.
0: To, it's a hard one to, because if, if that's what it is, and most likely that's what it is, yeah. it's a hard one to then provide and understand why it is that we have so many meaningful moments of any kind in our lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have this. Yeah. I, I think if we became self-aware in that level, i it's a bit Skynet, isn't it? But. <laughs> to, to you know, we all know what it is to be. Well, maybe we're all supposed to experience all the things. What if we're supposed to experience all the things? Um, and then I and then I oscillate from going, and I would love to have had more time to think about this question with what my. Well, actual- okay, here's
0: what I'm going to say. I'll, I'll fill in a little bit of time while Ramona begs for your attention. Come on, then. So, I mean, there is that mo- uh, silly girl. A moral relativism that, like that dog, is a great example of. Wow. That is a dog from a breeder. Um, I don't, I don't really, you know, necessarily support pet shops and breeders. You know, I'd rather yeah. people rescue dogs. But it's a, like, it's a, uh, she's a beautiful dog. I feed. her I'm a vegetarian. Is she got a pour down your top. Yeah. Is that what's happening? Do you need to kind of, yeah, well, that's not normally her style. Uh, she's been reading the news. She's wine-steating it up. I'm there sorry. There we go. Good Yeah, Romana, you've got to ask for permission at the very least. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the great appeals of comedy, here's what I would say. One of the great appeals of comedy, I think, is that you get a room full of people in that room together and why it's better to see it live than it is to watch a DVD or like a funny YouTube clip or whatever it is is that you have a room full of people who actually aren't necessarily alike. In fact, they might not even like that comedian on stage for the same reason as the person who is sitting next to them. The two of them might sit and enjoy the show the same amount and enjoy very different things about it and understand very different things. But they are connected by the fact that they both enjoyed that thing in that room together at that same time. And that ability to connect people, because that's what comedy really is, right? Stand up at its heart is, I'm going to try to, with my ideas, connect all these people. It's why something that happens in the room in the moment always gets the biggest laughs, right? You know, if you have that moment where something... I can hear that buzzing too. Is that like a bug that time or is it my microphones? Um, But yeah, it's the, if you can connect all those people at once in that room, it it seems to be a connection that people are longing for in some way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and sometimes I almost see it. I almost see it like threads of connection, which is going to sound like a mad, but like in my, when I remember my, they're like kind of silvery, almost like spiders with threads that's like, when you're in a moment of speaking to someone, you're like, it's coming straight from you to them. And then that's connected and then someone else is connected and then they're, they're connected. It's like a spider's web almost like it's like that you're kind of building this thing. Well, it's a then- real
0: moment of going, hey, I don't know you. Yes. And you don't know each other. Yeah. But we're all kind of agreeing on the same things because that's yeah. what comedy is That is it's very hard. Is like there's a certain agreement. Like yeah. that you're saying either that is – I agree that that is right or I agree that that is wrong. But we're yeah. all agreeing to make this decision of how we react to that moment, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you're all – you're getting – you're great. You're just coercing people into agreeing with each other. For <laughs> yeah, an <hour>. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Which making the world a better place will. That's yeah, no, nah, you're,
0: you're, he- you're a hero. Fort, <laughs> 40, middle-aged hero. middle middle aged hero. That's age- what that's what it'll describe you <laughs> as. Auteur, Auteur, Auteur hero. Auteur slash hero. Dog whisperer. Uh, okay, we should finish up because you have a show to do, and also we've banged on for ages. So like, uh, we should definitely finish up. But I want to plug that show. I'll plug it at the start. I'll do the intro so people will have heard that already. But it's at the Sydney Comedy Store. It is this Saturday night. Oh, I, I want to ask you. A little technical thing so it's kind of greatest hits right you said so when you're on a journey of ideas that sometimes your ideas are different to what they were two or three years ago in your show how do you then when you're doing a greatest hits show connect those ideas in a way that you can tell that sort of story
1: um, well, I haven't done it yet, so tomorrow's going to be a bit of time. Okay, sat so go and see this show. <laughs> no, um, um, i possibly
0: would... really ineffectively, um, it'll be great. I,
1: I think it will be to be fair, it will be a combination of probably the last three, which I think ideologically are, right. the, closest li- are the closest linked. Also, I get a chance to because of what's going on at the moment with your postal vote slash possible re- vote to see if you should have a vote. Uh, you, I can you get t- to bring
0: back some material that you haven't been able to do for five years in places yeah. where they actually have marriage where, equality?
1: Where, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: I-, I was like, the people, because I've been talking about, fucker, if you want to talk about comedy not changing things. I literally think I've had marriage equality routines in my show in some form for about the last 18 years. Yeah. And we're finally having a non-binding, non-compulsory postal vote. So, whew, comedy's changing Change are
1: coming. Le- coming. Move
0: over, Lenny Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> but um, – I also don't have a lot of material about it because I tour internationally and I can't take the material anywhere else anymore. It's right. so embarrassing.
1: Yeah, I used to be able to do it in uh, in Ireland, and then but it, but it's also based on experience and an argument that I had when I was touring here before. So I am going to bring, but it'll be mainly the last three shows, which were Bombshell Seven and Madman, which was the show where I sort of went, oh, you know, the bigger the asshole, the higher the prize. That's the way the world's going. And I was talking about Donald Trump, such a, you know, and then kind of going, he'll probably be the president. Depressing. Anyway, so. Depressing now at the time. What a
0: (laughs) brilliant comedic premise. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that is probably those three shows. And, and because that ideologically, they're all kind of pretty linked. My show before, which is the one that is on Virgin in flight on Virgin now, Optimist. And also I, I have DVDs of that. I sort of sell that show. I find harder to revisit because it's about a period of like, sort of su- well, suicidal depression basically well, and even though well, i've totally moved beyond well, it every every day doing that show in edinburgh fringe during 2014 i felt like it was just weighing on me right. again so heavily so that i would and i would say the shows before that again i was in you know slightly different different place whereas now i feel like the last three have almost would almost fit together ideologically and yeah, nice.
0: All right. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It was nice to have you both here today. It is late. I have to feed the dogs. Yeah. Uh, I have to walk them. It's oh. it's dark now. I should have to walk them and feed them. Anyway, people don't need to hear this. You guys need to go. It's just
1: admin. Hey, thanks for uh, <laughs> listening to the podcast. I'm doing the
0: first ever live one uh, at the Giant Dwarf Theatre in Sydney as part of the Yak Festival, which is this new kind of creative arts festival they're doing for the first time. Uh, some really cool shows. I can't tell you who's on um, because he is doing shows uh, at the same time, but it's a brilliant guest. He's a uh, really funny comedian who's had a brilliant and exciting year that will be really fun to talk about. So uh, come and see that. Uh, there's only a few tickets left, so come along. All right. Uh, nice to talk to you. Thanks, Tiff. Um, uh, all right. That's end.